0: Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. All right, awesome. Oh, man, yes, I brought a bag of tricks. I'm going to do some illusions later. No, not at all. I just have some visual aids I wanted to use. You guys can open up to Genesis 3. Um, we have a lot to unpack. When we first got started, the clock hadn't been changed, and I was really excited because that meant I had extra time. And then somebody jokingly said they were going to move it forward, and I think they really did. So um, we'll try to bust through this. I have a lot to unpack today, and so we're going to dive right in. Father, we just bless you and we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for time. Of, uh, corporate gathering, and uh, time to worship and praise you. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through the word. Father, that my words would be yours. And Father, that anything I do not I do not need to add to it, Father, that I ask you just take it away. And uh, Father, that we would walk out impacted and changed for your glory, for your honor. And Father, I just thank you for um, ice cream bar and coffee bar this morning in between. In the name of Jesus, we say, amen. They did, they asked me about in between what we want to do. I said, Man, we've done cake after cake after cake. Let's do something different. And so ice cream bar, I did see a ton of zebra cakes because, you know, we can't get away from a cake of some form. So we're going to do some zebra cakes. Let's jump into Genesis three twenty-one. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, I, don't, I don't. I want to stop just real quick because I think how cool would it be to be your fashion designer would be like, who are you wearing today? The Lord God Almighty. <laughs> we'll keep going. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden. Well, I'm going to stop there. You know... When we read this, when we read this, that we see Adam and Eve have sinned and they have gone against the word of God, against what he told them they couldn't do, and, you know, what we miss on that little passage right there is that the mercy of God begins instantly. And the mercy of God is is that there is a point where Adam now is going to, um, he's already eaten so he now knows good and evil he has knowledge and there is a risk that he is going to touch the tree of life and in God's sovereignty and God's mercy he looks at this and says we have to send Adam and Eve out of the garden because if they do they'll touch the tree of life and if they do that they will live forever and forever they will be separated from me you know, we look at that a lot of times and we say, well, and out of punishment, they were sent out. But out of the mercy of God and his love for us, he wanted to make sure that, that there was a better plan to reconnect us back to him rather than Him us being forever living away from him. And I don't know if you guys have ever caught that in that part, but most of the time we see it as punishment, right? Because the next part, the next one goes on to say, So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I mean, that's how we see God, right? Adam and Eve had it all. I mean, they had all the produce they wanted. They had the pick of anything. They had a ton of it. I mean, I kind of equate it to um, like a car lot. Um, I like cars, and so I, when I see this passage, what I see is that at one point in time, they had the ability to drive the Ferrari, the Lamborghini, maybe a Rolls Royce, um, you know, a Jaguar, uh, a Corvette, because I like Corvettes. I mean, I look at this, and that's how I equate to. Their garden of Eden, their paradise, was that they could drive anything that they, they had to the pick of a lot, and so that's what they had. What we typically see is, is the punishment side of it. We see God as this flaming sword at the east gate, because that's what the word says, right? In order to make sure that they couldn't sneak back in, he's planted somebody there with a flaming sword, swinging it, waving it back and forth to make sure that they couldn't get back into it. And that's how we often see God. I mean, that's how most of the world sees God. All right, we see him as a, a deliverer of punishment. We see him as one who administers pain uh, rather than freedom. And, you know, for most people, when they think about becoming a Christian, when you guys are out in your day-to-day life and you're talking to somebody and you're sharing the gospel or maybe you're just talking to them about what's going on in your life and you, and you know that they haven't accepted Jesus as their Savior and you start talking to them about how they need that, most of the time they think of rules and regulations, Right, I mean, that's what they see God as, a person of rules and regulations. I actually brought some visual aids because I wanted you to understand about rules and regulations. One is um, the word itself. I mean, lots of times we look at this like a great big, huge, thick law book. Right? And we're supposed to study this. We're supposed to know this thing. We need to know it forwards and backwards, upside down. Because when the day comes for that celestial exam and you're standing before Jesus, you need to be able to tell him on page 1016 what it takes to get into heaven. I mean, that's what we look at the Word as lots of times, right? Perhaps you have something like... Maybe you have something like this. Anybody ever built and got a mortgage? (laughs) And we look at God lots of times like a mortgage where we go, I pray to God that I never need to know what was in the 18th page, halfway down, subpart B, subclause A, because I will not know what it is. And I trusted the person that told me that I could sign it. And so lots of times that's how we look at God as a big mortgage. And I really don't understand it. I don't know it. I hope I don't need all of it. But man, if I do, I hope I can trust it. So lots of times we look at him like that. Oh, this is, a, this is my favorite. This is most of the time. This is how we see God. Now, some of you, I looked at you, you some of you winced a little bit because you know this thing well. <laughs> Fact is, you might be one of the ones that has the name written on here. That is not because each person got the use of this. But this is how we honestly sometimes we see God as the paddle holder, right? When we get out of line, we need a little correction. So he's gonna swoop in behind us, give us a swift kick. I can I, I need to use this a lot of time. You guys are like attentive right now. You're like, <laughs> but this is how most people view God—the paddle holder. All right, he's he's ready to swing. He's ready to correct. He's ready to bring us back into um, into place. There was one I couldn't get. Well, I really wanted to use. I think that nobody. I put it out on Facebook to see if anybody had one, and, and I don't know if people didn't respond because either they didn't really have one or they were just too. Ashamed to say that they had one, but I was looking for what they call a child harness. I call him a kitty leash because it looks like a dog leash, but a kid's at the end of it, right? And that's how we often see God, right? Is that we're the kid with the leash on and we get going so far and he's like, whoa, you can't go there. And we start going this way and he pulls us back. You can't go there. I mean, that's how a lot of people see God is that he gives you freedom, but only so much freedom. So you're only going to go so far before he yanks you back on your leash, so to speak. i got another one. This is, this is a fun one. Some UFC gloves. There's a kid uh, who goes to school with my son. His dad is a, a UFC fighter, like legit. He's huge. I would never want to mess, him, mess with him, but this is how we see God lots of times, right? A little ground pound, a little submission, beat on you. Or lots of times we'll see people, Christians, who use these to submit someone into saying, all right, I'll accept Jesus as my Savior. Just quit beating on me. Quit condemning me. Quit, quit beating me up. And that's what we tend to do, right? We tend to beat on people a little bit, we tend to put a little guilt on them, or condemnation. So we do a little ground pound techniques. I had another one I wanted, I couldn't find it. Any, have, if you've ever been to a um, like an amusement park, all right? They have these signs, and these signs are how you get in into the ride, right? right this is, and it's, it's one of those ones where it says you must be this tall. Right? And that's how we view getting into heaven a lot of times. Right? It's like there's going to be this sign, and we have to measure up. We have to be able to, um, you know, quote so many scriptures, and we need to memorize so many things, and, and we need to do certain things, and we need to. And when we pass this line, we'll be able to say, Looks like we made it. I'm in. I'm good. I can ride the ride. I'm into heaven. We see that a lot. Oh, I didn't bring my phone up with me. But here's another one that we do a lot of times for people. I have a cell phone that I can plug this thing into. And I love this because a cell phone is new technology. And this is old school technology. And lots of times when God's doing new things, we like to hold them back in the way things used to be. And that's what we do with people. When they have sin or when they've had sin or when things have gone on in their life, we keep reminding them of what used to be. I want to say this is a lot of fun when I'm driving down the road and it's in my cell phone and I'm driving like this. It is so much fun to look up. People's eyes are like, what's going on? A lot of fun. We treat the things of God as a prison sentence rather than a permission slip. Our view on the Garden of Eden and being kicked out is not that it was mercy and, and to protect us, But we look at it as the punishment. And so we treat things as though we've been put into a prison sentence. We stay focused on what they couldn't do. When we talk about Adam and Eve, we are so focused on what they couldn't do. What they weren't allowed to do. What was kept from them. What kicked them out of paradise. But, you know, let's look at the decision that that they had that got them kicked out. So let's go to uh, Genesis, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know, that's always where it starts. It's always doubt. It's doubt in what God won't allow you to do. That's where the enemy always starts, first thing putting doubt in your mind of what you are not allowed to do or what you can't do or what you are unable to do. And I love her her response. The woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. I mean, she says the answer, we're allowed to eat all the fruit. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. That's what the enemy always does. He is always psychologically leading us away from God. Right? He gets into our head. He begins to plant doubt. He begins to ask you, did God really say? Did God really say that, that you couldn't do that? I think as Christians, lots of times, that we have this thing that God is telling us not to have fun. And I'll, I'll challenge you and say, you know, I even will say that the enemy will begin to lead you that way. Did God say that you could enjoy that? Did God say that you could do that? I love the way he's, this is stated because the enemy, the devil, is actually really almost creating this forethought in her mind to say, God's starving you. Surely he's trying to starve you. Look, he won't let you eat from the trees. And she doesn't even hear her own mind that says, no, we're allowed to eat, just not this one thing. The enemy puts people around us. Boy, there sure is a lot of things you can't do. It must be really hard to be a Christian. I mean, I see this with teenagers all the time, with the youth. They're all the time, you know, man, it must be rough to have to go spend time in the Bible or to go to church on Sunday morning and spend time with God. It must be rough to do that. Well, you are missing out on so many things in life. The enemy uses this restriction mode. It's a focus on restriction. But I want to say that uh, the statement is not God's voice. It comes from the voice of the enemy. Satan twists the words, and instead of focusing on what they could eat, he wants to focus on what they couldn't eat. And the reason why we miss this is because God gives us parameters. He must give us parameters. He has to give us parameters. And they're not for punishment. Parameters are not about punishment. Parameters are about protection. Right? But we look at parameters and all these kind of things and how we can't do stuff. But his parameters are so that we can do things. I think it's crazy that we're so focused on what can't do that we miss that. And I want to say it again. I said it once. Because of what Adam and Eve did, because of his love for them, because of his love for us, he could not risk them touching the tree of life and having an eternal life away from him. I mean, he had a, better, a way better plan. I was thinking about, there used to be this song, out, um, and the words were like, you know, God is watching us from a distance. You guys remember that song? That song used to creep me out. I never thought it was a beautiful song. the reason why, because it made me the feeling like God was a stalker, right walking around behind us, just waiting for us to swoop in, you know to mess up, and he was going to get the paddle out. You know, God was watching from a distance, and if I messed up, he was going to ground pound me into submission. Maybe somebody really liked that song. That song used to freak me out, and, and what it used to make me think about was that people do not want to be in the will of God if they feel like he's a bully. Right? And God's not a bully, but if, if, every, if you feel like that everything that you do, God's watching from a distance and waiting for you to mess up so he can swoop in and do something, God is a bully. And we have portrayed him, the church has portrayed him as a bully. We have portrayed him as a God of punishment rather than protection. Rather than a purpose in life. A lot of that has to do with how we deal with people. I call it boot, boot camp Christianity. Because most people, when they first get saved, man, they are on fire. And, and they have all these parameters that they feel like God's put on them. And what we do is we tend to put those on other people. Right? They're for us. It's for God to deal with us in our way and to do certain things, but we put those on other people. I have a few examples of my own. Um, when I first got saved, uh, working in the construction industry, I would, you know, talk to guys and and uh, we would talk about different things. And uh, when we would drive, I would drive to work with people, and they would be listening to music. And I was, I'm, I'm kind of like, man, if we're in, we're going hardcore. We're going 180 miles an hour that way. And so I was like, no secular music. It's Christian music or nothing. If you, and I was pretty adamant about it. And so when I'd get in the vehicle with somebody, um, instead of loving on them, I would be like, what are you listening to? That's crap. I mean, that stuff is terrible. This is what it's talking about. you know. Um, and especially if I knew they were a Christian, man, the parameters that were put on me, I was trying to dump on them. And it didn't go very well. Drinking alcohol. When I first started working for the youth, you know, drinking alcohol is no big deal. Somebody wants to have a a beer, a glass of wine. I mean, when I would go out, um, you know, if it was time I wanted to kick back, I'd I'd have one. Not a big deal. It's never been an issue with me. Um, But when I started working with the youth, I felt like God put a parameter on me that said, I don't want you to be a stumbling block to any young person that comes in the door. And I was kind of, you know, like, well, why? And, and the reason why is because I have young people that come in and they have parents who are alcoholics. And so if they were to ever see me at a restaurant having an, um, a beer or a glass of wine or, or a drink of some form, that would be a stumbling block because they would see no difference between a man who serves God and someone who was not pursuing God at all. And so I felt that there was a parameter on me to make sure that I didn't do that. Well, I tried to put that on other people with guilt You know, what are you drinking for? You know, that's terrible. You're a bad example. right? We do that to people sometimes. That was was terrible of me. I have another example of a time where someone actually really, they were watching what I was doing, and um, when it comes to your language, I'm a real big believer on that there is not a need to cuss. Um, I see young people try to do it to try to feel like they're an adult, and, um, but there was one day there's a, this guy that I'd been talking to a lot and I was sharing the gospel with him. And you know I didn't realize it, but he felt like I was like this super Christian. Like, I never talked bad. I never talked. I didn't talk about other women. I didn't talk about uh, things I shouldn't be talking about. I wasn't listening to, I wasn't watching things. I wasn't checking things out. But one day at the end of the day, and it was a bad day. I mean, a lot of things had happened. A lot of things had gone wrong. A lot of things that, I mean, it was a bad day. And I really don't remember exact one point. But at the end of the day, he says, man, I just, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you being real and normal today. And I was like, what? He said, you let a cuss word slip today. I was like, what? And, he's, and, and I was like, I was, I was a little devastated. He said, I just want you to know I now get that you don't have to be perfect to get into the kingdom. And, and it really spoke to me. And I just want to say, don't use a cussing ministry to get people to come <laughs> into the kingdom. But, the, the, you know, I say all that to say that we get sometimes with this boot camp mentality of like, I'm going to take my parameters, I'm going to force them on you, and I'm going to bring you into the kingdom. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to love on people. And we're called to walk in our parameters and help other people find their parameters. The enemy distorts what God is intending for his children. He, he likes to make it look like he's trying to take something from you. Right? The enemy wants the giver of life to look like he is a taker. The reason why I say it is because that is the reason why a lot of people will not read their Bible. Lots of times people look at this thing like it's full of landmines. Like you might get in Proverbs and reading and it's going <laughs> to blow your hand off or something because god might call you to go do something or he might give a parameter on you that to the world is going to look like you're not allowed to have fun you're not allowed to do things but what he's wanting to give you is a life that is full right he's wanting to give you the ability to to go to the next level with him he's wanting you to protect you not punish you and a lot of people will not get into the word out of fear you know it's funny um Lots of times we won't get into the word. We're a lot like Adam. We want to hide from God. You know, Adam hid from God in the in the garden. We don't get into the word enough because we we really are trying to hide from God. Cuz we don't want truth necessarily spoken into us. We don't necessarily want to hear what we need to be doing because we feel like it's a form of punishment rather than protection. We look at this like it's the law. I said I had a, I talked about a law book, right? Law of Moses had 613 laws. That's a lot of laws, right? Here's the crazy thing. Is I read this book um, a, a few years back. Um, by It wasn't a Christian author. It was a Jewish author. And he, because of his Jewish faith, he wanted to understand what it was to live um, biblically for one year. The name of the book was um, Living Biblically for One Year. And he literally took every single law and wrote them up on um, boards all over his house, and he, his goal was to learn every one of them, memorize it, and live it. And he did this for a year. And it was a crazy. The book was actually really funny. I enjoyed the day. It was really a, a fun, funny book. At the end of it, what he realized was that it was incredibly difficult to understand, know, memorize, and live under 613 laws. The crazy thing about this is that there was a period of time when the Pharisees, said that those laws were not enough. We needed to better clarify. And so they came out with a book called the Talmud. Right? And it wrote all the gray areas laws. Because when you read the Bible, um, it, their main focus was, uh, I shouldn't say the Bible, on the, under the law of Moses, the 613 laws, a lot of it had to do with their big thing was, for the Jewish faith, was the Sabbath. right? Because we all know, right? God created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so they're very adamant about, on the seventh day, you rest. And so for people, um, really what the Bible had said, or the Sabbath, Sabbath or under the laws, um, you couldn't collect manna, you couldn't build a fire, you couldn't collect firewood, which made sense because you didn't need to build a fire because you weren't allowed to build a fire, and you couldn't carry a burden. That's really all the word said. That's all the Bible said. So in the Talmud, they wanted to make sure that they covered all of the gray areas. I got um, two or three I want to share with you. If you were a tailor, you needed to put your needle away a half hour before the Sabbath or inadvertently having the needle in your pocket and therefore looking like you were working. For women, um, your hair clip could be worn but not carried. So don't take it out of your hair. Don't do anything with it. You can wear it, and that's it. If you wear a wig, a wig could be worn in the courtyard of your own home, but not in public. Just wanted to make sure it was cleared. Um, killing bugs. Killing bugs is a form of hunting. Hunting is work, and hunting is the killing of an animal. And therefore, a fly or whatever. So I I figure the flies got together and said, it's the Sabbath day, we can do whatever we want, guys. Let's do it. Let's get after it. (laughs) There's one more. It's kind of my favorite one. Dragging a chair will turn up dust and therefore appear as a form of plowing. I'm just picturing the guy, you know, he's trying to get with the gang. He's like dragging his chair and is dragging up dust, you know, and they're like, stop, 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 you're working. He's like, really, I'm tired. I just want to sit down. The Talmud, you know, they took what was already out there and they made it so that you could not mess up. I can't imagine trying to find this stuff. But you know what we look at is Adam and Eve in the beginning, it was eat, enjoy, rule over anything except for one and we so look at the one instead of the anything and everything we get focused on one thing rather than all of these other things and the crazy thing is is that one thing that he's trying to keep you away from he was trying to keep them away from will hurt you he's a god of protection not punishment the fact is if you go to genesis well, let's look at a couple of different things here genesis 1 and uh, we're going to go to John. To compare a couple different things. So Genesis 1, it said this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 14, it said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. I love that because the message version actually says it this way the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Because what we get looking at is, is what Adam and Eve did gave us a form of punishment. We serve under a God who's a big poly, a big bully, and we miss that Jesus moved into the neighborhood, and there's a, a there's a reason that he moved into the neighborhood. There's a purpose. See, most of the world and sometimes even right here in our own body, in this church, well not this church, the other churches, we think that God created us so he could punish us. But from this, you know, you know what God was really like? Well, let's go to John 1010. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We read, we read that and we go over it. the thief, right, the enemy. He's come to steal and kill us. We miss that Jesus came to give us permission. He came to give us the ability to do he came to give us back into that there, there are boundaries. There needs to be parameters, and there needs to be boundaries in our lives. But he came to give us life. He came to give us an abundant life, a full life. He right? came to give us boundaries, um, not to burden you, but so he could bless you, so he could show you the parameters of what, really, what is really life, what, what life can really be like. Jesus said he came to give you life and life to the fullest. When we look at this passage, um, you know, we always say the thief, the thief is the devil, right? And, and of course, we know the devil is the thief. He's the, he's the father of lies. Uh, and, we, and we know that he is the thief. Um, so in this passage, you know, we, we pin that a lot. The thief comes to steal, the devil came to steal from you. But you've got to understand. Where Jesus was talking about what he was what he went on to say in here, because what Jesus was really talking about was being a gate in this passage. The fact is if we go back to John ten seven, it says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All, whose, all who all came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. <clears throat> there were religious people who came before and claimed to be the Messiah. And there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees. And they were the one claiming that you had to follow. They had the rules set up, the, how you get into heaven. Right? They had the parameters set up and how you could get in. And what Jesus was saying, no, no, I'm the gate. I'm the reason for that. I'm the way. What he was saying is, is, look, I'm the gatekeeper. You see, in order to be a gatekeeper, you have to have access to the gate, right? And so in order to have access to the gate, you got to be able to act like a gate. Jesus was saying, I've come to give you access back into the garden. I've come to give you access into what was taken to protect you. I love this statement, I am the gate. You know, there is a lot of statements in the Bible, the I am statements. But I am the gate. Why would he say that? Why would he say I'm the gate? Well, obviously, he's, he's the gate. He's, he's how you get in. But there's more to it because he actually understood in those times, people understood what it was to, to be a shepherd, and to take sheep in and out, and to move them around, right? And what he was talking about was that when, you bring, when they would bring sheep in, if you were a shepherd, when you brought them in, you would um, bring them to the gate, and before you'd set them in the gate, you would inspect them, and you would look them over, and you would see what they needed, you know, if they needed oil, if they, um, if they had a cut on a, a hoof or something like that, or if they, um, maybe something, uh, they had burrs, You know, there was different things that each, each animal needed something different. You know, that's exactly what he does with us. He inspects us and sees where our herd is, where, where we're at. And he tends to it, right? But this is what a, a shepherd would do, is they would tend to the animal, and then they would put them in to the pasture. They would put them into that safe area. And then what the shepherd would do is they would literally lay in front of the gate. They would lay down. And most people, when you say that, they'll say, "Well, that because he was trying to keep them in. He didn't want them to be able to get out and do anything." No, because what he goes on to say in in verse eleven, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." Jesus lays down his life. He's the gatekeeper. He lays down his life at the gate, not to keep you in, but to keep the enemy out, to protect you. God is a God of protection. And Jesus, what he does is lays down his life. He did that for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep keep you able to go in and out rather than hemmed in and the enemy attacking you all the time. He wants to give you ability to live life to the fullest. He wants you to enjoy life. It's amazing to me to see on Sunday mornings, today, this is a really tough day, right? We, everybody lost an hour of sleep. In fact is, we look at the one hour of sleep that we lost today, and we're a little grumpy, and we're a little upset, But we forget that in not too long, we'll get to enjoy lots of hours of extra daylight. We'll get to enjoy the daytime to do things. You see, we get focused on one thing that we can't do or we lost out on, and we lose sight of the fullness that we'll get to live or the fullness that we'll get to experience. But in a church, we see lots of people, like Sundays are like a grump day. I'm gonna go punch in my cluck. I'm gonna go sing praises to God, and I hope it goes quick, and I hope they do the song that I like, and the preacher better not go long because I've got stuff to do. And we should be like the happiest people ever. I have the last name Joy. Man, if I can't, I I can't get away with being upset and, and not being happy. Like, it it comes back to haunt me. But as Christians, as people who we've been given the opportunity to have the fullest life available, and we come in Sunday mornings and we look like that we are not allowed to enjoy anything. And and Jesus has given us the ability to enjoy it. And I think that we need to change the way people see God. Not just us. We need to walk out What God did for us. We need to walk out, not what He took from us, but what He gave us. It's called grace that we walk in, right? It gives us the ability to have peace, it gives us the ability to walk in forgiveness, it gives us the ability to live life to the fullest. You know, John said that I can do anything I want but I don't necessarily have to. I'm paraphrasing. He said, I can do anything I want, but it doesn't benefit the gospel. Lots of people, when you start talking about grace, they live on two sides of it. You hear people say, well, you can't tell people they can live free like that. You can't tell them that they have that freedom. And I'm like, yeah. My rebuttal to them every time is, yeah, because your religiosity is bringing them into the kingdom Left and right, right? You're beating them over the head, sure is bringing them into place. We as a body have to begin to understand how our life has been changed, how we've been given freedom, and that joy, that love for others. We want to share that with them. I was thinking about you know, understanding how Jesus really impacted our life. Um, I don't know if you have an iPhone, I, I, I love my iPhone, I'm a big fan of my iPhone, I don't have it on me now, iPad, but um, there was a point in time when I would, I had played a lot of, I would play games on my phone, um, and there was this term that if you could do, if you would do this to your phone, that it would allow you to have some extra things. All right. Um, the fact is, there was this game that I would play, and it was kind of a weird game, but it was fun because I could connect with some of the little kids with it, and it involved like dragons and them breeding, which is awkward sometimes um, talking to little kids about that. But, but, so, but they're playing the game, and so I'm like, all right, well, I'll play it too. And you could get extra rubies in this one game if you would jailbreak your iPhone. All right. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that term, jailbreak, but what it really is, is is that when Apple designed my iPhone and when I got it in the box, it came with limitations. All right? There was only so many things that Apple wanted me to be able to do with it. But if I would jailbreak it, then I had have unlimited abilities to do anything I wanted to with it. However, when I did that, if anything happened to it, Apple wouldn't honor the warranty with it. They wouldn't be able to fix it or do anything to it. But we, I could jailbreak it and give myself all kinds of abilities to do anything that I wanted to do. But, so let's read Luke 4.17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, Unrolling it, he found... The place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Jesus came to unlock our life, right? He came to jailbreak our life. He came to jailbreak so that we don't live under limitations and we don't live under what um, all the things you can't do. He came to give us the ability to live life to the fullest. Earlier, I told you about we were talking about how that he at the east side of the garden he set up the cherubim with the flaming sword. And so I'd ask you, what gatekeeper do you have in your mind? What um, which God do you have at the gate in your mind? Is he a God of punishment? Or is he a God of protection and mercy? A.W. Tozer said, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. How you see God is the most important thing about you because that's how you convey to those around you how you see God. It's the words that you use. It's the actions that you take. It's the way you carry yourself. I'm going to give one more example of a gatekeeper. There is in airport security. If you guys, if you've flown at all in the last little bit, there was a period of time when security was really, really heightened. I mean, you could barely walk through without being assumed that you were up to no good and you were probably some form of terrorist and they needed to check your stuff. Right? I heard a story about a pastor who. Um, while traveling, he was uh, taking his young son. He had a 10-year-old, 11-year-old son with him, and he was, um, was going to go do a conference, and he wanted to take his son with him. And so when they went to the security check-in, uh, they got separated because that's what they do. It's just, you know, they'll separate you. And so although he was a pastor, he was a dad too. And um, he got very agitated. He got very upset, and he, he was like, I just want to be with my son. I just, you just need to bring me my son. I need my son back. I need to be with my son. Um, to the point that um, he was pretty certain he was going to go to jail um, because he was raising such um, a ruckus in there, and um, so he was telling that story. They finally got back together, everything kind of panned out and it was okay, and he was telling that story to his congregation and afterwards, there was a gentleman who called and said um, i didn 't speak to the pastor." Um, I want to tell him, and so he he got on the phone and he said, listen, I want to tell you something. He said, when you come to the airport next time, you need to give me a, a, a heads up, give me a text, I will meet you and you will not have any problems. You see, he was the airport operations manager. And he had the authority to take that pastor from any point to any gate that he wanted to take him. He had the authority to move him from one place to the other place without any kind of hassle, any kind of problems, any kind of situations. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He has the authority to take us from one place to the next. But we have to be connected to him. We have to be connected to the authority, but we need to understand our place. We need to understand what it is that God truly has done for us rather than what he took from us. Does that make sense? Anybody get that? Why don't you guys stand up? The music team can come on up. One one last thought. God has called you to be you. Lots of times we come into church, we come into a morning, and we are not necessarily always who we are. We're not us. All right? We're on something else. We're, 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 we portray something that's not really going on with us. Same thing throughout the week. We live in this moment of uh, punishment rather than protection. You guys can close your eyes. My challenge to you would be this. When you walk out of here today, will you look at your God... Differently. Will you look at it, will you be able to display to others that he is a God of protection, not punishment? That he is a God who wants you to live life to the fullest, not to the least. If you, in everything that I've been saying today, are one who could say, I do not know Jesus is my Savior. I do not understand this gatekeeper, that he would lay down his life for me. Jesus died on the cross. He brought us life on a tree the same way Adam lost his life on a tree. And so I'd extend to you that if you do not know this man Jesus, but you would like to not have to live under condemnation and you would not like to live under the feeling and the belief that God is trying to punish you all the time. I would like to extend to you that Jesus brought grace to you so that you could walk in fullness and freedom, so that you could walk away from those things, so that you could walk in peace if you guys are struggling with things today, if, if you are struggling with things that are going on in your life, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to help walk through those things with you because that's what God's called us to do. We do that on Sunday mornings, but we forget to do it a lot of times the rest of the week. Father, we bless you. Father, I just asked that those who go and leave, Father, that you would begin continue to speak into their hearts, Father, that you would continue to connect with them in the true portion of grace that you've extended to them. And Father, that they would bring honor and glory to your name through their actions, through their words, through their love for you